I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Job chapters 10 through 13, and this is the New King James Version of the podcast. And of course, there's also a King James Version available of this podcast as well. In chapter 10, Job continues his monologue from chapter 9. And we see in chapter 10 that Job's not paranoid, I mean... His problems are real. Verse 1. My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man, that you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know that I am not wicked, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay. And will you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour out like milk? And curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. And these things you have hidden in your heart. I know that this was with you. If I sin, then you mark me, and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery. If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your indignation toward me. Changes and war are ever with me. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease. Leave me alone that I may take a little comfort. Before I go to the place from which I shall not return, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is like darkness. As I mentioned, this chapter is a continuation of Job's third speech, which began at the beginning of chapter 9, and that was a response to Bildad's speech in chapter 8. Now, I've provided an outline for the book of Job to show you who says what when, and uh, you can click on the link here on this page if you're looking at the notes and see the entire outline. Well, Job's at it again. He's expressing here unbearable grief. Job's speech shifts gears in verse 2 as he appears to be addressing God himself with his thoughts. As he cries out to God, it's interesting that he's not asking for healing or restoration. He just wants to know why. Maybe it's just me, but 
If I was covered with oozing sores, I'd be asking for a little physical healing. But Job, he's just intent on knowing why it's taking place. Show me why and you contend with me, is what he says. The remainder of chapter 10 is Job addressing God in the presence of his friends. So let's go over the dilemma again. Job's theology, and by the way that of his friends, consists of the doctrine that when bad things happen, it's because of sin. God is punishing. This concept of trial without the presence of sin is a completely foreign doctrine to all of them. Well, Job's problem is this. He was a man who was meticulous about shunning sin and serving God. In his mind, his theology of God has crash-landed. Now, from his friends' perspectives, he must be a closet sinner, a theory that even seems a little amusing to them. They seem to take a little pleasure in believing that goody-goody Job was, in reality, not as righteous as they thought. From Job's perspective, he's more interested in understanding his circumstances than physical restoration. Nowhere in the whole book does Job ask God for healing or restoration. Just answers. Now, isn't that interesting? In this chapter, he presents himself as a marked man without any hope. He doesn't feel he has a chance, as we see in verse 16 when he says this, You hunt me like a fierce lion, and again you show yourself awesome against me. Then in verse 19, he does his death wish routine again when he says, I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Then in chapter 11, a man named Zophar, another of Job's three friends who show up, he mercilessly pounds on Job beginning in verse 1. Then Zophar, the Naamathite, answered and said, should not the multitude of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace, and when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you, that he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves." Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons, and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise, when a wild donkey's coat is born a man, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands toward him, if iniquity were in your hand and you put it far away, and would not let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face without spot. Yes, you could be steadfast and not fear, because you would forget your misery and remember it as waters that have passed away, and your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning, and you would be secure because there is hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest and safety. You would also lie down, and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope 
loss of life. Here's a man who doesn't mince words. He goes right after Job. This is Zophar we're talking about. Right to Job's integrity and truthfulness. It's actually Zophar's first speech in this uh, book to Job. In verses 1 and 2, he accuses Job of foolish talk and insists that Job should be shamed. In verse 3, he says, Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? He just called Job a liar. He disputes Job's righteousness and suggests that God himself should speak out against Job's sin. Then everybody would know the truth about Job. Look at what he says in verse 11. For he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? Did he just suggest that Job's a wicked and vain man? This guy is a friend. He certainly can spin a put down though. Look at verse 12 when he says this. For an empty-headed man will be wise when a donkey's coat is born a man. (laughs) Did he just label Job a witless, empty-headed man with as much chance to become wise as a wild donkey has to be born tame? Well, here's the bottom line on chapter 11. Zophar eloquently tells Job to his face that he's a liar. Zophar's advice is clear in verses 13 and 14, and here it is. Here's what he says. All of Job's troubles will be behind him if he'll just confess to sin and ask God for forgiveness. Then it's Job's turn to speak, but sometimes only a sarcastic answer will do, and that's what we find in Job's monologue in chapter 12. Verse 1. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Indeed, who does not know such things as these? I am one mocked by his friends, who called on God, and he answered him, the just and blameless who is ridiculed. A lamp is despised in thought of one who is at ease. It is made ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure in what God provides by his hand. But now ask the beast, and they will teach you, and the birds of the air, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, and the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Does not the ear test words and the mouth taste its food? Wisdom is with the aged men, and with length of days understanding. With him are wisdom and strength, he has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away, plundered, and makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away, plundered, and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes a nation great, destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. 
He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Now here's Job's response to Zophar's speech that Zophar gave back in chapter 11. This speech, which is Job's fourth, goes all the way through to chapter 14. I like what he says in verse 2. He says, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. In other words, Job sarcastically replies, You guys think that you're the only wise people in the world. Nice cut, Job. Job's quick to point out that he's not inferior to them in the knowledge of God. He still maintains his innocence in verse 4 when he says, I am one mocked by his friends who called on God and he answered him, the just and blameless who is ridiculed. He goes on to point out in verse 6 that idolaters and sinners are prospering while he, a righteous man, is suffering. Then he spends the rest of this chapter extolling God. He seems to be saying that God's ways are way too complex to be presented with the simplicity he's hearing from his friends. Now, he doesn't have the answer to his suffering, but he's certain that his friends don't have the answer either. Job in chapter 13 lashes out at his friends and their senseless counsel, beginning in verse 1. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I know also. I am not in fear to you, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would be silent, and it would be your wisdom. Now hear my reasoning, and heed the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality for Him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well when he searches you out, or can you mock him as one mocks a man? He will surely rebuke you if you secretly show partiality. Will not his excellence make you afraid and the dread of him fall upon you? Your platitudes are proverbs of ashes, your defenses are defenses of clay. Hold your peace with me and let me speak, then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not the dread of you make me afraid. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak. Then you respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? And will you pursue dry stubble? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. 
As I mentioned, this is a continuation of the speech that Job began back in chapter 12. In this chapter, Job makes reference to all his friends sitting around and giving advice about which they really know nothing. In verse 2, Job points out, he says, You guys don't know anything that I don't know. Given the opportunity, he felt he could prove his case before God. Hey, Job, tell us what you think about the advice you're getting from your friends. Well, there it is in verse 4. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. That's strong medicine there. Obviously, Job is just a little irritated with his friends, wouldn't you say? He gently tells them to shut up in verse 5. In verse 15, we see what a testimony. Here's what Job says. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. No matter what happens, Job will serve God. When you contrast that statement to Satan's mission here, well, that verse takes on new meaning. If you'll recall from chapter 2, verse 5, it was Satan who had told God that he could cause Job to curse you to your face. Well, Satan, think again. By verse 18, he proclaims that he's confident he shall be justified. Zophar seems to have provoked a more determined monologue from Job. Now we see less pity, albeit his attitude seems to have grown less patient with his three friends here. This speech, as I mentioned, this monologue continues on into chapter 14. Now here's the lesson of these four chapters that we've looked at today. And the whole book for this matter. Don't guess when you're giving counsel to other people. It turns out that these so-called counselors were dead wrong. Their assessment was wrong. One valuable outcome from reading the book of Job should be that we'll take great care in making certain that any counsel we offer is completely scriptural. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.